I'm Bob Nelson, and I am a member of the News Church here in Woodstock. My privilege to uh, again be able to give our talk today. Um, this is part two of uh, uh, talk about the idea of heaven and. <clears throat> When we did some research and got lots of people's opinions and questions about heaven, at first I thought I would be talking about how could we answer some of these questions. And the more I realized a lot of our questions really aren't answerable, number one. And number two, I thought maybe it's kind of like we're barking up the wrong tree by focusing on ourselves and what we want in heaven rather than trying to figure out what uh, Jesus would have us think about regarding heaven. And that switched my thinking until I did a word study on the word heaven in Matthew. And over and over again, by far, most of the references that came up were when Jesus was using either the phrase, my father in heaven, or your father in heaven. And that was where a transition came in my thinking that ended up Heaven is, is the place where we as God's children are going to be with him forever in his kingdom. And so uh, last week we talked about <clears throat> the, the relationship of father and children from the father's point of view. We talked about some fantastic gifts that God gives to us, his children, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not just any spirit, not just happiness in life, but Holy Spirit to guide us and convict us. And related to that, he gives us the ability to have true righteousness. Not just the good works that everybody is expected to do and we expect from one another in the world, but a true righteousness that is coming out of his conviction to us and is, and is not just self-seeking. It's the praying in the closet. You might say, we're only God hears, rather than praying maybe the same words, but you're in front of the church hoping that you'll like what you hear. That type of true righteousness is a gift of God. And then number three was his fantastic gift of reconnection with himself that Jesus made possible when he died on the cross so that our sins could be completely forgiven, all sins, even the sins we don't even know we're committing, uh, that as we then are able to put our trust in that act of Jesus on our behalf and respond in faith that he is not only our Savior, but our Lord, we reconnect with our Heavenly Father. And number four, the gift of life, not only physical life that is given to all creation all mankind, but the spiritual life that is referred to in the terms born again or born from above or born of the spirit, um, that kind of life is forever. And the last gift was the gift of that life in heaven, in the kingdom of God. However that's going to turn out, whatever it's going to look like, uh, we know that we have that relationship forever. This sermon, that sermon was about gifts initiated and controlled by God. <clears throat> There's another gift that is given to mankind, and that is the gift of free will. 
I think most people would agree that at least from our point of view, from our head, from our human point of view, we have the ability to choose freely. And we have the responsibility to choose wisely, to choose rightly, according to how we have been nurtured. The scriptures that were read this morning are reminders that we have free will, that we can uh, we can respond to God according to that. We can receive those gifts that we talked about last week, or we can choose not to receive them. We can do good works to be seen by people, or we can choose freely to do those works to please our Heavenly Father. We can pretend to be Christians, or we can we can choose to be the real deal. The Matthew 7 text shows that some people are pretenders. That even though they accomplished great things and did miracles, Jesus said, I didn't know you. Now, does that mean he didn't know who they were? No. He said, I didn't have that relationship with you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Uh, there was a time when I was driving from Nebraska to Missouri and my pickup uh, had uh, a problem. The, the, the muffler or the tailpipe fell down and was rubbing against things. So I had to stop in a motel for overnight. And as I was pulling into the parking lot of this hotel, <clears throat> the, there was a, a pickup pulling a trailer leaving the parking lot. And uh, the trailer advertised uh, some big gospel group, gospel singing group. I assume all their their sound equipment was in the trailer. And uh, so I parked and went into the lobby. And as I was waiting to be served, uh, I uh, heard one of the staff say to another, "Those guys just stole one of our pillows." <laughs> and I and I felt embarrassed uh, because I felt for because I identified with them as, as, as Christians. And yet I thought, oh, why are we doing these things, you know? Uh, it's got to be an embarrassment to our Heavenly Father, too. And, you know, I hope that whichever one of them did the stealing uh, was also able to receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit and be able to, to have a repentant heart about it. But this sermon is not about pretenders. Uh, I included those texts this morning just as a, as a warning like Jesus did. Basically, you may fool others, but you can't fool God. Uh, probably the, the most dramatic, miraculous sign in the, the Bible about this is the story of Ananias and Sapphira that wanted to give a good gift in front of the church, but they were secretly keeping part of the money for themselves, and, and they died right in front of the church. And, and Peter said, you know, why did you think you could deceive the Holy Spirit? Aren't you glad that he doesn't do that <laughs> often? <laughs> uh, but, but the warning is there that, that God is not fooled. He is not mocked. This sermon, though, looks at the relationship to our Heavenly Father from His children's perspective. I love these pictures. Uh, 
the children sharing and learning how to do things that are beneficial in the family that they are related to. This message, oh, excuse me, that, that the message in the Bible to repent and believe that both uh, John the Baptist, with his first sermon, and Jesus um, was about the kingdom of heaven's nearness to us. And it was something that Jesus taught directly at first when he just said, repent and believe the gospel of the kingdom. And then also he fleshed it out many times uh, during his ministry as we see people who uh, are repentant. The tax collector that says, I'll give money back. We see people having faith and having true true changes like in that situation, but also in healings that took place to show the kind of power that the kingdom has. When that message is given, repent. Some people probably get defensive. But God's children hear that call to repent and they rejoice. We don't grumble about holiness. We delight to be reminded of it and to be told, oh yes, God, thank you. I can please you better by changing this or changing that. Uh, sometimes we're, we're worried about, am I really a child of God or not? How do we know? And I, I want to pass on to you an illustration that was given to me from a pastor in our little country church when I grew up. And as a farm kid, it made maybe it made more sense to me than some of you. But he said, it's like uh, a pig and a cat. A pig gets muddy, and he loves it. He wants to go back and wallow more in the mud. No. It's really because he doesn't have any sweat glands. But, <laughs> but the illustration is that he likes the mud, right? Uh, whereas the cat, if the cat gets muddy, he hates it. She hates it. She'll lick herself off and, and try to get herself clean because she knows it's just not right for me to have the mud on me. And God's children, we're not ignorant uh, when we have bad behavior. We, we feel it. We know it. And it bothers us just like the mud bothers the cat. Uh, sometimes we realize things quickly. We realize I messed up. I think about, uh, it took a while though for the parable of the uh, prodigal son. You know, he, he messed up and, and eventually he says, he came to his senses. I love that verse, that, that phrase. That's one of my phrase, favorite phrases in the whole New Testament. He didn't realize his own sin, but eventually he did. And he says, he came to his senses. I believe it's the Holy Spirit that does that in us and helps us come to that place. Other times, it maybe takes some long soul searching. And we don't really understand why things just aren't right. And we're looking and, and things don't feel right. Um, I'm reminded of, of when the angels came uh, when, when the women came to the tomb and 
the angels met him and what, what did the angels say? Why are you guys seeking the living among the dead? Sometimes we don't realize that, that we're, we're wishing for happiness and pleasure, but we're looking for it in the places that really are, are, are dead places. There's not the true life there. There's not the true living Christ there to help us understand an eternal kind of happiness rather than just an empty, dead kind of a happiness that even the world can have. Today we're going to be looking at four ways that children respond to a loving parent. And I hope that they'll be help to you in understanding yourself better uh, as a child of God who brings him delight. Response number one, we come sharing our cares. Response one is, we come sharing our cares. Um, I'm going to be using a lot of illustrations of my own family today, and they, all but one of it, them know it. <laughs> Our oldest son, John, <coughs> came home from elementary school one day and he told us that he had been bullied at school. He didn't have to be taught in Sunday school, thou shalt tell thy loving parents thy problems. It was natural for him to have a care in his life and to, to, to unburden himself, to share it with us. It's natural for a child to process what happens in their lives with parents that they trust and that they know love them. Trust in a parent's love when rewarded once leads to trust again and again. Our trust in God as we burden, unburden ourselves to him and re receive a spiritual peace and help and cleansing enable us and encourage us to come again and again in that same kind of trust. And as his parents, we didn't have to have a command that said, Thou shalt listen to thy son when he confides in you. <laughs> it's natural. We want to love our children and help them in whatever ways that we can. In that prodigal son parable, the son's problem was not bullying. His problem was one that he had caused himself. It was of his own making. But still, it was natural for him to go and to share with his loving father. He knew that he would find and acceptance there. He was embarrassed and, and wanted to just work, but it was, it was a natural thing for the child to want to go back to their, their loving father. And it was also natural for the father to when he saw him in a distance to run and to receive him, to be merciful and to be joyful in his repentance. Uh, a famous evangelist died recently, Billy Graham, and uh, 
during the, the, the talks and, and various things that happened uh, during that funeral time, his daughter spoke of how she had had a similar real-life experience. She said that she had gone against her parents' advice and her life had gotten messed up. But when she finally came to the place where she realized she had to turn and try to come back and have a place to live, she says when she got out of her car, her dad was there saying, welcome home. So I think the application in this kind of uh, thinking of this response is keep sharing your cares to God. Um, The Bible talks about cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. I I like that word cast. It's wrong. Throw your cares onto God. He can help you. He He can deal with them in ways that you cannot do that. You can't do Uh, Why not decide now, if you've messed up your life, ask God for help. Ask him to give you the ability to deal with um, your life situation. How do you do it? You just cry out in prayer. Prayer that is honest and transparent. Response number two. So response number one was, we come sharing our cares. Response number two is, we come sharing our joys. We come sharing our joys. When John had come to us and, and shared about being bullied, he also shared how that situation ended. Um, John told us that he happened to think, well, he's, he's confronted with this bully and other kids are standing around uh, he happened to think of his Game and & Watch, and some of you are old enough to know what that is, but he had this new special Game & Watch, and he's, he offered it to the bully, said, would you like to use my Game & Watch? Mm-hmm. And the bully kind of didn't know how to react. It, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, when I mentioned this to John, Recently, he says, yeah, it, it diffused the situation. That's a great word. Diffused the situation. Um, there was probably a little bit of pride in being able to share how that had come out in, in his telling us. But the, my point is, he knew us, and he knew that we would be glad at that kind of an ending. He, he knew that we would rejoice with him, that it had a good ending. Uh, and what sometimes, obviously, things don't. As children, we grow and we mature and we learn more and more about our Father's ways and our Father's will. May your kingdom come and your will be done, right? It's what we pray to our Heavenly Father. Uh, and, and as we learn His will, it affects our own taste of what is joyful and what is shareable. The things that we are proud of are more and more what our parents would be proud of. Our tastes are modified as a result of interacting with our parents. Um, Our daughter Elizabeth came home from school 
one day when she was in elementary school. And she was really excited. She was so excited to tell us this super funny joke that she had heard at school. And uh, so she told us, and the joke wasn't what we expected. It wasn't the kind of joke that we would repeat. But it's hard not to smile and laugh at any joke told by a very innocent child who understands parts of it and the funniness of parts of it and giggles as she tells it, right? I mean, who can respond, <laughs> responding to that kind of a, of a situation? We loved her excitement. We delighted in her innocence, uh, her desire to share something joyful to us. Later, we could use it as a little teaching moment about what our family standards were, right? But at the moment, we knew our heart and the innocence and the pure uh, it was a beautiful thing to us. Surely our Heavenly Father is like that, right? You and I are like that to our Heavenly Father. Think about all those times that in our prayers that we just are just sharing our joy with Him. You know, the kind of times when we're praying... That was really cool, right, God? God, did you see that that precious expression on Ezra he had in that baby's picture? <laughs> yeah. Well, of course he did. But, um, wow, God, what a sunset. That was really so cool. We're sharing our joy, our experiences of joy with our Heavenly Father because we know he loves us and he loves to hear us interact with him. When I read the Bible, I find myself inserting emotion that must have been there, too. Like when Sarah finally had a baby boy. She had Isaac, right? How old was she? I don't know. 90? 90 years old? And I I, I don't think that she said, "Um, Thanks, Lord, for this baby. I just can't imagine anybody doing that. She, in her prayer, it had to be more like, oh God, you gave me a baby in my old age. I never would have guessed it. We, don't, we can't get those emotions in the written words. Sometimes I wish we could have had you know, the microphone, uh, the recorder here. Um, we'll try to talk to her in heaven and see if she can reenact her feelings at that time. Um, but think about the people being healed. Thanks, Jesus. That was a cool healing. <laughs> Jesus, I'm healing. <coughs> the joy that is so just natural to express is it, a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful response. And the third response is sharing our anger. Sharing our anger. As we mature, we are modified. And maybe we need to be disciplined in love. Um, Children nowadays, I won't look too strongly over here, but (laughs) children nowadays have meltdowns. Our kids never had meltdowns. John, you never had meltdowns. 
We had, they had what we called tantrums. <laughs> Meltdowns weren't invented yet. They super tantrums, screaming tantrums, right? Meltdowns are not fun for either the child or the parent. Loving parents control their anger. They are long in patience, long-suffering. They also, as things eventually settle down, are giving correction. Loving parents do that. God uses scripture to help us and to guide us and correct us. The more we listen to God, the more we know what he likes and does not like. He helps us recognize when some things are because of our selfish pride. The flavor of our selfishness was mixed into some good works soup that he was wanting to serve people through us. Um, there was a religious leader that Jesus talks about in a parable praying in a temple and basically he's saying, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other guys, especially this guy over here. He was recognizing that he had done good works. He prayed, fasting. Those are good things. But his good works were messed up by his selfish egotism. Jesus pointed that out. And he did that for us, so that we, as children, can be warned that it can happen to us too. Paul wanted, Paul had had some fantastic healings. And he wanted more, even for himself. God said, my grace is enough for you, Paul. And knowing that scripture helped me at a time when I felt like that too, Lord. Like, how come you're not healing my eyes? And God touched me deep in my heart in a way that he could not have otherwise, helping me realize I wanted God's grace, I wanted heaven, I wanted to know that I didn't worry about hell. I also wanted healing. And he's helping me realize my grace is enough. I think about people in war right now, Christians who wish for success physically in their battles. And maybe God is having to help them understand my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my disciples, Jesus said, would have been fighting, just like all the other soldiers fight in wars at the time, whatever time in history it was. There's something more important than that kind of battle going on. And it's the one that goes on in our hearts. A spiritual battle that has eternal consequences, not just what's going to happen 10, 20, 50 years down the road. God's grace is, a, is sufficient for us. <clears throat> Be willing to fight with Be willing to argue with God like Job. God can take it, right? Obviously. But have a heart while you're while you're having your meltdown that is also 
recognizing God is the one who can help me get through this. Response number four is we identify with our Father. We identify with our Father. I don't mean just raising your hand in a roll call. Nelsons, sir, I'm a Nelson. I don't mean just like attending family gatherings, family reunions. We're going to have a Nelson reunion this summer. The equivalent of that is like for Christians is when we get together like this or other Christian activities and we're identifying that we are Christian by by meeting with one another. I'm referring to a natural and subconscious type of identity that happens as part of growing up in a family. And I think an, another illustration is the one that may help you understand what I mean. This illustration is from our youngest son, Mike. Uh, it was a day that it was my birthday. And everybody knows the tradition in our family. Uh, you eat breakfast, and then the birthday celebrant after breakfast gets to open the gifts, right? <clears throat> our youngest son, Mike, was probably about five, four, four at that time. So I'm looking at maybe some of these kids. Um, and he, uh, we had already started eating, and he came late from bed. And he was waking up fast as he remembered what day it was. It was his dad's birthday. He was super excited. And before he even reached the table, he said excitedly, Dad, did you get your watch yet? <laughs> <laughs> Why is so precious in my memory? Um, you can imagine what Elizabeth and John said, Mike, you ruined the surprise. <laughs> but I'll tell you, his excitement <clears throat> for me was by far the best gift that I got that year. His eyes and his voice said it all. He could not wait to enter into my excitement. He was living in my world. He was anticipating my joy. And he didn't have enough understanding to realize that it wasn't time yet. Uh, perhaps our best responses as children of our Heavenly Father are not the planned responses, not the, 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 the plannings to, to do some service thing like what we're hoping to do at, at Crossroads at Easter time or something, many things. But they're the automatic overflows of the relationship that keeps building between us and our God. Jesus said in Luke 18, 15 to 17, essentially he said, allow the little kids 
to come to me. Let the babies come to me because of such is the kingdom of heaven. We mature. We learn. But there's that part of us that has to enter through the child portal, you might say, into God's kingdom that's humble and innocent and pure. And God is able to develop that through his Holy Spirit, that wonderful gift that he gives us. So in summary, I have five takeaways, reminders here. Number one, don't be a hypocrite. Either be a Christian or don't be. Number two, share your cares to your Heavenly Father. Praying to our unseen God is hourly no different than talking to the ceiling. The difference is the intangible called trust. Number three, share your joys with your Heavenly Father. Don't worry about saying the right words, saying something wrong. Just keep talking to him. Keep sharing with Include him in every piece of your life. Number four, keep sharing times when you're angry with God. Argue like Job. Fight like Jacob did. But also be able to calm down and listen to his voice. And number five, identify with your Heavenly Father. Keep learning His ways and letting them influence who you are and your ways. Learn that He rejoices in what He rejoices in and then join Him in it. In the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15, 1-7, Jesus uses the illustration of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. He goes out and counts them and 99 sheep are right where they're supposed to be. But one of them is not. One of them is lost. Verse 7 says, and so he goes out and finds him and then he rejoices. Invites his neighbors. And verse 7 says, just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, how we love you. Oh Lord, did you get your next repentance sinner yet? May it be so. May it be so. Amen.